So today, we must expect to be living this turbulence for a long time. In a double world where two realities live together in conflict, the old, limitless world that does not acknowledge the planet's limits, and another one that recognizes these limits and experiments with ways of transforming them into opportunities. Now these worlds look very different. The first is the dominant world, still the reference for many, that shapes the main economic and institutional structures, and that draws from its history of success the conviction that its continuity in time is inevitable. The second, on the other hand, looks like a group of islands where people think and act in ways that are different. What the future of this archipelago of new market worlds will be like is as yet too early to tell. It may stay the same for a long time, or it may disappear, submerged by the sea of other unsustainable ways of being and doing things. Or it may reveal itself to be the already visible part of a submerged continent, the new continent of sustainable civilization that will emerge from the transition. That quote right there is from Ezio Manzini's book, Design When Everybody Designs. And it's kind of the inspirational piece that I wanted to start this Working Together podcast episode with. Because this episode is the start of the second season of the podcast programming that I'm calling Archipelagos of a Possible Future. So echoing that quote, the basic idea is that within the midst of entire seas and oceans of unsustainable society and culture, what I like to call TNAC, typical North American consumer culture, that's what it's short for, there are these islands of a more sustainable approach to living and working together where people think and act in ways that are different. Cooperatives, makerspaces, sharing networks, community kitchens, permaculture farms, independent bookstores, forward-thinking libraries, cross-sector collaborative projects, social innovation labs, progressive political and advocacy campaigns, and on and on. These are the archipelagos that I see on the horizon. And I'm bumping into them a lot right now. You see, uh, because right now, my family and I are traveling throughout the Americas and hopefully the world um, currently uh, out of a truck camper <laughs> and maybe as we journey overseas out of other interesting things, uh, tiny homes and whatnot. Um, and as we do these journeys, I'm going to catalog and amplify the archipelagos that I come across. Now, I've only just begun to interview the people behind some of the inspiring projects that I've come across. But it's already clear that there's an abundance of stellar examples out there, much more than I can ever hope to cover. And so archipelagos is my avenue for exploring and amplifying the islands that I find along the way for you, my global audience of concerned humans. Um, and I hope in so doing the Working Together podcast becomes a bit of an archipelago for you. But before I get too happy about all this and positive, 
I want to mention a few real problems that, uh, that are right there with this notion of archipelagos that require us to think about that continent that's below everything that Manzini touches on there that we want to see emerge. So the first problem is that many of these archipelagos, they're both A, totally rad new alternatives and possible futures, yay, Um, and B, also the fledgling detritus flung from a slowly exploding welfare state. Yeah. The, the, you know, after decades of neoliberal policies, um, policies that have eroded safety nets and public goods for individuals, communities, uh, entire countries and regions, um, the archipelagos, one could argue, are all that remain after that effort the last 30 or 40 years now. Um, and so in this way, archipelagos are like the small moats and spores of something bigger, something that once was, whether we're talking about, um, you know, kind of the pre-Thatcher era, uh, or perhaps even older, like ancient Minoan culture or something like this. Um, so archipelagos are either something that once was, some expression of something that once was, or something that has yet to become. But not something that is today an actual alternative. Archipelagos are either totally precarious, they're barely profitable organic farms, they're nonprofits that are addicted to the next cycle of program grants, and on and on and on. Or they're hopelessly caught up in the logic of the broader social and economic system. They're social enterprises run by social entrepreneurs and whatnot. And they're ruled by the profit motive, donning the rhetoric of corporate power speak. Through their very existence, they point to a different way of organizing things in social relations, while at the same time, they worry about paying the bills just like everyone else. This isn't bad. This is just part of the problem. So, in the podcast, I'm going to be wondering aloud uh, about this. Is there a way for these archipelagos to have their cake and to eat it too? To have their business plans and their revolution? Can those two things kind of be combined in the way that they're doing so? Um, And they're doing so because it works. It works within the context, within the context of existing in a capitalist economy. If the answer is no, that that they can't, um, then we also need to be talking about how we can compel ourselves to think through what it would mean if they were to exist in a different context. If they were to pay attention to things beyond their own self-interest, beyond their own profit motive, beyond their own grant cycle, and so on and so forth. So this takes us to the second problem here, the broader context, the seas, the oceans of this dominant 
unsustainable world that surround these tiny islands of possibilities I so admire remain unpredictable, swollen, and turbulent seas. Just as climate change intensifies physical storms and hurricanes and whatnot, the storm, I feel, is becoming an apt metaphor for 21st century politics. So I'm just going to call it storm politics. And so this storm politics may yet overtake these tiny islands. I hope they don't, but they may. And we may witness the slow submersion of these archipelagos over the coming years through maybe economic collapse or resource wars, um, unsustainable influxes of climate refugees through Europe and North America, um, and the growth of racist security states in the face of terrorism and unrest. It's not difficult to imagine the trends that we see today intensifying over the coming years and decades redirecting our collective efforts towards a logic of security and scarcity as opposed to one where we're trying to work together, collaborate, partner up on these problems and issues that we know we need to solve. So, though I am fully supportive of archipelagos everywhere, the TNAC remains strong, even if it's fragile and incredibly fearful of its own demise. Storm politics grow in strength, and ultimately, I don't believe that archipelagos alone can save us. So because of the inherent precarity of these archipelagos and the danger posed by storm politics... Because of those two problems, I believe there is an urgent need to organize more broadly than just the small is beautiful approach. We need to scale up a bit, regional, national, international. Think about, study, plan, work together, collaborate on capturing these spaces using more inclusive institutions and interests. And once captured, we must engage in different types of conversations and problematics than those currently at play, and before we capture them as well. So this is where the Working Together podcast is getting a little more political, so to say, um, where we begin to explore social democratic models, anarchism, green municipalism, feminist partnership models, whatever, um, there's a need to understand and amplify the conditions through which the maverick archipelagos may rise from the sea, revealing the submerged continent below that Manzini talks about in his quote. So, along with my field recordings from archipelagos, I'll also be talking with folks about the larger continent beneath the sea, what its typography might be, its politics, its economics, its culture and community, the alternatives it opposes, how to build them in communities, how to campaign on them, and how to win. 
And why do I do all of this anyways? So that you, the listener, can learn of the existence of these archipelagos and better support them in their work. So that you, the listener, can be inspired, maybe, to do your own big work. So that you, the listener, can learn how they did what they did. The business models, the facilitation tools, the hard-won lessons, shortcuts, turning points, and so on. And use that hands-on knowledge in your own journey. And so these are the sorts of things that we're going to be talking about in the Working Together podcast over the next few years. Along with the usual interviews that I have with folks as well. So don't worry, those are going to stay. And of course, there's going to be new ways that you can participate and support the podcast and its efforts. Over the next little while, you'll hear from me again about Patreon, which... I'm actually super excited about. It's a great avenue for building community. So one of the tiers that I'm going to be having that I'm the most excited about, to be honest, on the Patreon page, once it gets released in the next week, is a tier of support that I'm keeping incredibly accessible to people. And it's the one where you get to become a member of the Invisible College where I walk participants through a facilitation tool or some sort of approach, strategic approach, campaign methodology, whatever you want to call it that we're looking at, once a month through a Zoom meeting, and we get to practice it and talk about it and work on it within the ensuing weeks and then return to report on it share experience, share ideas, and work on another thing like that. Because it's time for us to really begin sharing out the tools that will help the archipelagos thrive and survive in the future. Just as an example, you can talk about Marshall Ganz's story of self Approach story of us, story of self, story of now. It's a great framework for thinking about how to structure a presentation that you're giving to a room full of people to galvanize them. You can think of Daniel Pink's different approaches to pitching to audiences. You know, he basically renounces the whole idea of an elevator pitch. He says nobody rides in elevators for that long anymore. That was back in the 50s and 60s when elevators took forever and you actually had time to make a pitch. (laughs) Now, the elevator's so fast and everybody's just looking at their phones. So you have to think about what the pitch means in these different contexts. And he actually, I think he outlined six different ones. So ideas like this, but then also ideas as well like how to get a room full of people to come up with their own conference on the spot without any planning, to plan it in the moment and then deliver it in the moment through something like the open space technology, as it's called. Anyways, there's all sorts of ideas and tools and tricks and things like this that are great to learn about and even better to learn about together and practice together. So that's going to be probably my most um, exciting thing about the Patreon 
uh, page that I'm hoping that listeners such as you will sign up for and participate in every month with me and a bunch of other people who sign up. So stay tuned for that. And for now, that's all I'm going to say because I think I said it all. Did I say it all, Heather? (laughs) My wife, Heather, is just sitting here like trying to just... (laughs) And the kids, my kids, we're all living in a truck camper right now, right? So my kids, they're in literally like, I don't know, they're like seven feet away from me in the same room listening to a movie on their headphones. It's great. Tiny life.